There you go. I'm John Kane, and this is Resistance Radio. I will be joined by Regan DeLoggins, and we look. We've got a we've got a good show planned for you, um, and it may we may raise some eyebrows here, but um, we want to be heard out. We want people to understand where we come from on this perspective. All right. Um, well, look, before I get into it, let me check. Uh, uh, Regan, are you are you with us? I sure hope so. All right. Good. <laughs> Good to hear you. And of course, uh, again, to re- remind people, we are um, still doing remote broadcasting. So uh, Regan and I are not in the same room. That's why I had to ask. And <laughs> and and I'll, I will apologize in advance for for any, you know, uh, compromised uh, audio quality that we have because of, the, you know, still operating under certain um, uh, COVID protocols. So Regan, um, look, with all of this on, on daily in the news, actually moment by moment in the news, the violence that we're seeing perpetrated uh, against Palestinians in Gaza, well, the conflict in general, and, and we'll, we'll leave it at that. And we can talk about who's doing what to who. But um, you know, one of the things that that I that I want to say and and that I want to weigh in on this issue over is is look, there's a tendency because of the Jewish Holocaust you know, at the hands of the, uh, of, of you know, Hitler and the Nazis, to uh, to identify that as the Holocaust, the genocide that the world experienced, the example of ethnic cleansing that the world has experienced. And you know, and, and again, Raoul Peck's uh, film uh, Exterminate All the Brutes. He said, "Wouldn't it be nice if we could just say that was it? That was it." But the reality is. Native people have experienced a, a, a genocide that is still going on, is still is in that's been happening for over 500 years, and and again, it's I'm not trying to get into a misery competition, but because of the genocide that Native people have experienced, and and it's oftentimes been called called the American Holocaust, there is this tendency to compare our experience to the Jewish experience, and. I, I have trouble with that because, and, and again, I, I'm not trying to make light of anybody else's, you know, uh, misery or or the atrocities that have been committed against other people. I mean, look, I condemn all atrocities, but I got to tell you, as I sit here today, I um, I will make the case that our experience as Native people and and in the facing oppression. Facing violence, you know, facing murder, facing disproportionate aggression, um, a, a, a asymmetrical warfare, all of that stuff. Our experience has more in common with Palestinians than it does with the Israelis. I'll toss it well, to you with, with that. <laughs> well, what I think is also really important is that we have to uh, um, we have to be careful about defining Judaism through Israel um, because. The reality is that uh, Judaism and Zionism are not synonymous, and they shouldn't be synonymous. And I say this as a Jew, as an anti-Zionist Jew, um, that the two are not synonymous, but they become because it's part of the settler colonial narrative. In the same way that Manifest Destiny is a part of the American settler colonial narrative, Zionism has become part of the Israeli settler colonial narrative. So as someone you know who is Jewish and also indigenous, this conflict 
I hate using the conflict, it's not a conflict, it's an ethnic cleansing genocide um, that, that, has, that is ongoing in Palestine. You know, it, it's, a, it's a conversation that needs to be had. And, and I agree with a lot of what you're saying, uh, John, in terms of, like, I am in solidarity with Palestinian people. Um, that's where, that's, that is the, the quote-unquote side that I've chosen. Because I know what this can look like as an indigenous person 500 years down the road, and it's continued erasure and continued violence and continued genocide. And so I, I, I agree with what you're saying um, in terms of the fact that we have more in common uh, in, in discussing what genocide looks like. But I also think it's important that folks understand that Judaism is, is not synonymous to Israel, and those who make it synonymous are often in contradiction to many. You know, I, um, I, I agree to, with that. You... Regan, we're, we're going we're gonna to try to uh, clean up your audio a little bit, but I want to take a little bit of a trip back because there's an interesting thing that um, that happened just three years ago. In 2018, and, and this was before uh, Regan and I got to team up. This is when uh, Shawnee was still uh, sitting with me and doing this program. We had to face, there was a circumstance that, that was going on three years, 20, 2018, right, right at the same time, where, again, the the, the aggression and, and the force that was being used against Palestinians in Gaza, I mean, people being shot through the fences, people were up to the fences and they were being shot, even doctors and journalists and everybody, there were all kinds of people who were being, who, who were literally being murdered by, by Israeli soldiers. And... And the again the the grotesque nature of that disproportionate response to yeah to protest sure, but not to the kind of aggression that would have warranted this kind of shooting through the fence that was happening, you know, uh, to to Palestinians. And the the irony was that Israel was was attempting and and in fact would host the. Um, uh, what was it? It was it was the uh, FIL Men's Lacrosse World Championship. So Israel was going to host a, a an international lacrosse tournament, and so this is where we as data people and Haudenosaunee got sucked in, because there were many of us that were that were calling out this aggression, and we were standing in solidarity with Palestinians. Uh, I, I, Again, this isn't a, a recent phenomenon. This is going on and on. But in spite of that, there was this conflict happening, and 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 I got to tell you, and I'm ashamed of it. But but Team Haudenosaunee, the Iroquois Nationals, rather than heeding the call to boycott, rather than heeding the call to stand in solidarity with other people who are have, are experiencing the same kind of aggression and the same kind of um, atrocities that Native people experience. Other than, rather than doing that, some 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 power makers, some decision makers, I guess, um, decided that that they were going to send our our young men essentially to to be to to perform for Israel. Okay, I mean, so yeah, there was this this desire to send our guys, and and essentially, uh, you. Know, I, I felt like we were like we were dancing for them, you know, because when we send our lacrosse players to a foreign country, you know, and look, we were still going through all kinds of 
passport issues and, and everything else, which, which never got resolved there. But, but again, it, it, it just seemed so inappropriate for us as Native people, and Haudenosaunee in particular, to, uh, to show that level of support to Israel in the midst of what was a, an ongoing atrocity in, in 2018. And, and now here we are back here again. Here we are again. So, Regan, let's uh, give you another shot. Let's see if your audio sounds a little better. I'm hoping it sounds better. Is this better? You sound terrific. <laughs> okay, great. I now realize what the issue is. I cannot connect my audio to my laptop. It has to be through my phone. Um, so now that we figured that that out, <laughs> I can We're actually never gonna have uh, participate in this conversation. Wood, right? <laughs> Never again. Never. We'll never have. Yeah. You know, I just want to echo what John was saying. Like we are doing this remotely and we do do it live and we plan every time to to have a seamless show. And then sometimes things hit the fan. So I'm glad to be reconnected. But what I what I was saying previously, which um, which harkens to what John was explaining about um, the Haudenosaunee and and this this participation um, is that often there becomes this conversation well first i feel like we should rewind and talk about what is actually happening in palestine there you go go ahead which was that um uh, 27 families are being violently evicted from sheikh jarrah which is a predominantly palestinian neighborhood in occupied east jerusalem um which is about north it's like north of the old city um and has had a lot of different uh, occupations, and it, ha- and it has been occupied by different nations. Uh, t- t- until 1948, it was occupied by uh, by the British, and then it was occupied by the UN and Jordan. And then in 1967, it was uh, quote unquote reclaimed by Israel. Um, so, th- so this specifically eastern, this neighborhood in East Jerusalem has been occupied by a number of different uh, foreign invaders over the course of time. And also it's important to understand that a lot of Palestinians were removed, violently removed out of West Jerusalem and the UN and Jordan created housing complexes, including apartment complexes in Sheikh Jarrah, specifically to house those refugees. So a lot of these people who are being evicted, who have been violently evicted, this is not their first or second time being evicted from Jerusalem. And of course, we're talking about Palestinian families being violently evicted. There's been a number of different, and this is also um, incorrectly, and I think uh, really, really uh, mirrors the the gaslighting that happens, but this is often called the Sheikh Jarrah property dispute, um, which is, you know, and it's described as this like long running legal and political dispute. But that is just a way to gaslight and uh, and to, yeah, to really put a cloud. Yeah, it's not a property dispute in the same <laughs> way that the Trail of Tears wasn't a property dispute. And Indian yeah, removal yeah, we wasn't had a, we, a property we had a dispute. real estate problem, you know, for that's been running for for over 200 years. It's just a real estate problem. Exactly. Like the fact that it's described as a real estate problem is so painful. And I highly, highly recommend that people read um, an article that came out just this past Monday on Al, uh, it's on Al Jazeera, but I see it on The Guardian by um, uh, Lucy Garbett, who specifically talks about how um, framing this violence as a real estate dispute uh, is an attempt for Israel to uh, tried to placate the larger global network it, it, to to exercise this idea that it's not violent 
But the reality is that it, it's, it is ethnic cleansing. You know, you're having uh, an occupying territory. Israel is an occupying country um, that uses Zionism as a, as a means to maintain violence in uh, a country that is not theirs and should never have been theirs in the first place. And we Man, are often sounds, asked so uh, as Jews. <laughs> this, this, this sounds so familiar well, to me. Well, it's all, like I've seen this movie before. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and um, in 1948, during the Nakba, which is also known as the Long Walk, which is when Palestinians were evicted from West Jerusalem um, and have continuously been evicted from, from Palestine in general, uh, you know, I, I find so many similarities between the Long Walk and the Trail of Tears and the Long Walk that is Nakba in Palestine and the long walk that was that of Diné and Navajo Nation, which is just this continuation of pushing indigenous people off their lands for real estate, um, for, for continued real estate. Uh, so for those who are unaware of what's happening in, in, in Sheikh Jarrah in this very small neighborhood, it is something that has happened before. Um, why is it becoming uh, a, why are, why are we talking about it again? It's because a lot of videos have gone viral showing uh, Israeli settlers, Zionist settlers, violently evicting Palestinian people from their homes, like physically removing them from their homes, spray painting their homes, you know, uh, lighting homes on fire, marking doors uh, of marking doors with spray paint so that other Israeli and Zionist settlers can then go attack these families. And of fair course, game. the Israeli yeah, occupying army, the IDF, does not does nothing to provide um, security and support, which to Palestinians, as they're you know that's never their duty. And in fact, have been using uh, what's called water vomiting, um, which is these cars known as skunk trucks drive through Palestinian neighborhoods, specifically through Sheikh Jarrah, and spray down Palestinian homes and shops and restaurants and public spaces with high. Um, high pressurized putrid water that literally causes vomiting, stomach pain, skin irritations, and was actually originally developed by the by the Israeli company to repel quote unquote protesters. And this the stench lasts on clothing and skin and homes for days, and it makes this entire area smell like putrid, rotting flesh, while also having an occupied army within there, while br brutally beating people, while murdering children, while bombing. Like, this is this is not just a, um, a couple of viral videos and some protests. This is an occupying army in a, in a neighborhood that has experienced generations of trauma, causing more trauma under the guise of, well, this is a real estate dispute. Well, and let me let me jump in just a little bit because this is the part that that really really gets to me. You know, just the idea that a people can be forced to live or live as refugees in their own land, and of course, that's been the native experience. That's what that's what we've experienced for hundreds of years here, and and the and the idea that this practice continues. And and look, there's all there's this you know. While much of the world will tell Israel, oh, you should not be building, you know, settlements in these areas and this area and that area, th those same countries will will uh, repeatedly say the same thing. Well, Israel has a right to defend itself. Well, what are they defending themselves against? And and don't tell me it's just about 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 Palestinian rockets because 
in the absence. No, don't tell of, me it's about Hamas because that's yeah, that is don't, not yeah, don't real. Don't tell me, but because <laughs> on a daily basis, there are people who are dying. There are people whose lives are being made unlivable. And 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 I'm sorry, oppression is violence. Poverty is violence. What the Palestinians are living with, they're living under, which is this incredible, continuous, perpetual state of uh, you know of of aggression by Israel, is unlivable. It's unmanageable. So when I hear people say, "Yeah, well, you know, but why are they? Why are they acting that way?" I mean, this. And, and, and again, as a native person, knowing what what our response has often had to be, I mean, I I, I just released a, a podcast this week, which kind of lays out um, the uh, Oka Gunasadage crisis from 1990, and you know, one of the little videos that that I use to promote the podcast, you know, has one of the guys in his fatigues, and he said, "Look, the only thing anybody has responded to when it comes to." Our assertion as native people has been this. And then he taps his uh, his mini 14. I mean, it's uh, which is which is an automatic rifle. In case anybody doesn't know what a mini 14 is, but but <laughs> it's it's like this is where we're at. We're at a place where unless we go well beyond just you know nonviolent direct action, there are places that that nonviolent direct action has been has done nothing. Look, if you look at the conflict between Israel and Palestine. You know, for for all of these generations, there is nothing that has shown any signs of Palestinians either either being uh, respected as a distinct people within Israel, as or being uh, you know getting what what most of the world recognizes that they should have, which is a Palestinian state. There's there they they are no closer to any of that today than they than they were 40 years ago. And, you know, I, I think also it's really important. I, I feel like I have a very I have a very strong opinion about what about these happenings because I'm both indigenous and an anti-Zionist Jew. And I and I care deeply about indigenous rights and solidarity. And I think that something that we have to talk about as indigenous people in solidarity with Palestine is not just our shared traumas, but also our shared resistance and narratives of resistance, which often include radical joy, which is something that I've, you know, I've been out in the streets the past week with folks, uh, with Palestinian organizers, really trying to uplift and really trying to support in whatever way possible. And it's, and at times it's incredibly scary. You know, we've had Zionists attack us last week. Um, you know, we've had people, and mind you, this is still a massive crowd. You know, we, we had we had 20,000 people in the streets for Palestine just a couple days ago. So there there are people coming in numbers and there's the strength in numbers, but also there's this incredible beauty um, that I that I get to you know participate in and also witness, which is just this radical joy of pushing back against occupying forces. And so being in solidarity with Palestine isn't just about our shared traumas, but also witnessing each other's shared joy and witnessing each other's um, happiness when we are both in occupied, you know, we're both occupied, in, like currently, and I want people to understand that the United States is an illegitimate country as well. Like you are occupying indigenous land right now in this moment, we did not consent to it. It has never been something we consented to. And we fight back every day, not just with our existence, but with our organized resistance. And I think that's something that 
we see in Palestine and and one of the reasons why um, indigenous people are as a whole are, gravitate to one another is because we don't want to continue to see our our connections only be through trauma. You know, yeah, like no, we have that, the ability to a, do a great to, point. to be beyond that as well. Because I think this idea that there is joy in resistance is and, and part of it is, you know, when people talk about hope, hope always sounds like a positive thing. But the reason that you need hope is because of despair. I mean, if you didn't, if we weren't experiencing exactly. some of this stuff in the first place, then the importance of, of that joy and that hope w wouldn't wouldn't be there. Look, I had somebody ask me the other day, and in, in fact, it might have been today. <laughs> they asked me, they said, does a, a, does a country or does a people that that conquer another people, um, do they have a right to exist? And, and, I, and I said, well, first off, let's talk about this word conquer and conquest. Because conquer. What, is, what is what is mm -hmm. conquest? Is it is it murder? Is it theft? Is it fraud? Is it is it outright lying? What are you calling conquest? We're not talking about two parties that 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 agree to meet in some sort of you know physical competition, uh, winner take all. I mean, so so what are we calling conquest? Is is conquest legal? I mean, is it? I mean, and so when when we ask that question, we're 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 framing it as if this is some sort of noble adventure. And and it's and it's not. I mean, when you think about, again, the disproportionate use of aggression. I mean, whether you're talking about smallpox blankets, starvation, killing women and children, and I'm talking about native people here. <laughs> so if you're going to talk about you know Palestine, look, it isn't so much that I've got to say that I'm standing in solidarity with Palestine. What Palestine is experiencing is our experience. We are we are doing the same thing. We are we are living the same experience. And and, and again, I, I'm not again not trying to get into you know some sort of oppression Olympics, but our experience has been for 500 years. And 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 so there is joy as, as indicated when we stand up, when we resist. But but what is that? What are we supposed to do? I mean, what is that resistance supposed to look like. I mean, it's it's not just carrying signs. I mean, and, and it's and, and while it you know again, I'm it's just awesome to see twenty thousand people assemble to you know to speak with one voice. But at some point, we've been doing this over and over and over again. So when you want to condemn me because we pick up a rifle and defend ourselves, or 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 somebody decides that, you know, look, it's it's time that Israel not be comfortable with their aggression. And that's what the, that's what this whole, you know, back and forth with, you know, uh, with, with bombing campaigns are. Look, I I understand what Hamas is doing. I'm not saying I totally, uh, you know, agree because of the disproportionate amount of uh, loss of life. But at some point, Israel is a country and those people who keep supporting these right wing leaders They've got to be, they've got to know, look, you, you can't just keep doing what you're doing. We're not going to allow it. And look, we're, we know we're going to pay a price for it, but we, we can't let this continue this way. And, you know, and, and I got to, again, I got to bring up the United States and their undying support, unwavering support 
for this aggressive regime that continues to perpetrate these atrocities against the Palestinians. I, I mean, I, it, I, I, I just get sick. Well, and it doesn't matter if it's a Democrat or Republican. It's all the same thing. Well, you know, I wanted to that's I'm so glad you said that, because that's where I was where I was going next, was that if we talk about how much indigenous um, people to, you know, this to this land have in solidarity, have in common rather with Palestine, we have to talk about how much Israel and the United States have in common as occupying powers, because that's also a shared narrative. I think specifically of um, The Iron Wall, which is a book that was written by a major Zionist leader named uh, Ze'ev Japotinsky, um, and he specifically talks about how not only does he talk about the the religious right of of zionism as justified for the continuation and, and growth of israel but he specifically hearkens and speaks to the what he paints as a very benign um character of anglo settlement within you know this so-called country and i highly i highly recommend people read the book not to become a zionist but rather to see how jaded Zionism is and also how similar it is to Manifest Destiny and how both the U.S. and Israel use, um, you know, doctrines of discovery, Manifest Destiny and religious rights to determine um, if settler colonialism is justified. And another uh, uh, the reason I bring up that book is also because uh, there's a discussion that I, there's a, a wonderful discussion and, and a, a wonderful book put out by Stephen Salaita, who is a Palestinian academic. The book is called Internationalism, Decolonizing Native America and Palestine. And he does an excellent job putting um, Andrew Jackson's Indian removal policy side to side to Ze'ev Jabotinsky's Iron Wall uh, essays. And it's incredible how similar they are. And so we're talking about doctrines put out by leaders who are sharing similar thoughts and similar words, and they're always as a means to justify continued genocide and removal of indigenous populations. So we can't ignore, like in the same way that we can't ignore how Palestine is connected to indigenous struggles here, we cannot ignore how connected Israel is to the U.S. and the U.S. to Israel. I mean, consider the fact that the United States provides $10 billion of funding to the IDF every year. That's absurd. Why? Well, because that provides and protects the United States' interests in the Middle East. And of course, what are those interests? Continued resource extraction. So, you know, these, and why does the Israel, and why does Israel support the U.S.? For those same reasons, you know, it provides uh, Israel access to the Western Hemisphere in a way that they would never have previous to that. So this is a, a, a destructive and symbiotic relationship between these two occupying forces where they specifically gaslight the indigenous populations and gas up the occupying populations to maintain settler colonial narratives. So I, I and there's so much more that they have in common. I mean, consider the fact that Israel was con, con, was a. Uh, created as a state in 1948 with the permission of the U.S. and the U.K. and the U.N. as a means to be, you know, reparations for the Holocaust, which, of course, you should deny. But more importantly, previous to the Holocaust, when, you know, there were there were sneaking suspicions and reports coming out of death camps, the U.S. and the U.K. specifically changed their immigration policies 
to not allow Jews into the country. They had anti-Semitic immigration policies right before World War II, not allowing Jews in, being uh, while being also aware that Jews were being exterminated. So this mm-hmm. isn't like a, a savior narrative, which is often how it's painted that the U.S. came into World War II and saved the Jews and created Israel, and therefore we are in harmony with one another. The U.S. actually is wildly anti-Semitic and barred immigration for people who were being murdered by Nazi Germany. So yeah. there, Henry, it's, Henry it's, Ford it's an incredible was a, was a, amount of disillusion. Henry Ford was a, was a, a staunch uh, anti-Semite, and... Uh, and he, you know, what big, big American hero, and he he profited widely off of uh, of the rise of Nazi Germany. So, yeah, it, it, it's it's also interesting. We we had Roxanne Dunbar Ortiz on a couple of weeks ago, and and it's also interesting this idea that that refugee or immigrant refugees um, that can transition themselves into the settler colonial class, and and you know and. Uh, and frankly, uh, Jews have been very, very successful at that, both in, in the U.S. and, and of course, with the creation of, uh, of the, or recreation, whatever you want to call it, the creation of, of Israel as a state, uh, with the support of of countries like you know, like the European powers and uh, and the United States. I mean, it's uh, it, it is you, it, we're going to totally transform a people that have been rejected by countries like the United States and the U.K. and not only welcome them in as settler colonialists, but we're going to actually feed their settler colonialism with uh, with the creation of Israel. And I think it's also important for folks to know that like Jews aren't all white, like at all. Um, and actually, Israel looks to maintain a white supremacist narrative of Judaism. For example, just last month, Ugandan Jews who are you know, African black Jews were barred immigration into Israel specifically um, because they were coming from Uganda and were not considered to be a part of the Jewish, the, the, the this ethno um, white supremacist ideology of Judaism, uh, which is and not this inherent. Isn't, this I mean, isn't brand new either because Jesus Christ. This, well, this was a, this was the story that was going on three years ago. Um, at the same time that all this violence was happening, you know, uh, against Palestinians in Gaza, there were the, the those same stories were were running about the uh, not only uh, the banning of of uh, black Jewish people from coming to Israel, but the expulsion of them. So mm-hmm. this is something that the that Israel, yes. you know, again this white supremacy kind of tied to uh, to to Israel has. You know, has been presenting itself for years. Yeah, I, I think that that's really important. Also, there's just a large amount of erasure when it comes to Jews of color. And like as a Jew of color, I feel like it's important to talk about. But like the fact and, and there's a lot more to discuss here. You know, there's different types of um, like ethnicities within Judaism. I mean, you know, you have Mizrahi, Sephardi, Ashkenazi, and they're all different. But specifically when, when we're talking about um Jews are coming and settling Israel. It's mostly Ashkenazi Jews, which are from Eastern Europe. So it's a it's a different conversation. And I think that, you know, of course, we need to parse this out more fully. Um, but I just want folks to understand that there are Jews of color. There are also Palestinian Jews. And the the Jewish state that Israel is attempting to create is one of white supremacy. It is not one that actually um, 
uh, and it's also it's also not a Jewish state. It's a Zionist state because if you are a Jew, then you should not support Zionism. Uh, so it, I think that there's a lot more to unpack here. But I do want that to be known because it shows what the intention of Israel is, which is to create a white supremacist state in the Middle East. Yeah, no, and, and I think that that is a, an important distinction because I think that gets that gets missed in all this. And look, like there's there's always this, uh, you know, th this attempt to make this just about um, about belief systems, but it isn't. This is this is about settler colonialism, and this is about um, the idea that when you when you go into a place and you occupy lands, where does it leave the people? I mean, you know, when the United States, you know, claimed our territory, did, did they claim us too? Because that wasn't even really necessarily the case because they didn't, they want, they didn't want to do so. And you know, when you look at what's what's happening here, does it does a Palestinian um, uh, Israeli? If I, I know that sounds confusing, but do they have the same right as a, as a as a Jewish Israel? You know, as a Jew, I mean, I, it, it they clearly, it's, it's a problem. No, look, they don't. They do not. This can't work for Israel because they, they would be, they could rapidly be outnumbered when it comes to, uh, you know, to Islamic, uh, is, is Israelis, I guess. Or I don't know what the, what, what's the best word to describe somebody who's not Jewish who's a, who's Israeli. Um, I mean, I, I guess a, a, a non-Jewish Israeli. <laughs> okay. I, I, I was fumbling for words there because we know that there that this it's a theocracy, but it's not even based on any kind of strict interpretation of, of religion. But this is what the United States is supporting. I mean, and I think it's got to be called out. You know, I I also. I think that something um, that was brought to my attention while, you know, I, I want to be as informed about what's happening as possible to be in solidarity, of course, with Palestinian resistance against occupying, uh, um, occupying forces. And um, something, a statistic that I read that resonated with me and really kind of, it, it actually hurt to read was that out of the Palestinian population that exists within the globe, like the entire world, 75% are refugees. And that was an, a, refugees that don't even live in Palestine because of this. And one of the largest populations of, um, of, refuge, of Palestinian refugees is here in New York City, which was why on Nakba 73 on Saturday, there was such a huge outpouring of support. But reading that really, really, not only did it, it resonate, but it hurt because I think about us as indigenous people who make up less than 1% of the population here in this occupied country um, and how few of us live on our lands. Like when we talk about Indian country, we often focus on Oklahoma and you know, like my nation's based out of Oklahoma, but like I'm not from Oklahoma. And then I think right. about how many of my people actually live in Mississippi and it's a tiny amount and, it, and it's, it's shrinking slowly, of course, um, actually incredibly quickly rather, uh, and reading that statistic just was uh, was jarring and important to share because we are talking about an entire culture of people 
a group of people where 75% of them are refugees because an occupying force has chosen to remove them in a violent fashion. How disturbing. And then for this group to seek solace in a neighborhood east of Jerusalem, east of, you know, north of the old city, to then continuously be evicted violently. And I want to I want to answer your question, which is that Palestinians do not have any of the same rights as Israelis. And one of the perfect examples of this is in relation to this, quote unquote, real estate conflict, which is that Israelis of Western Jerusalem can claim land in Eastern Jerusalem if they can prove that it was Jewish owned before 1948. But Palestinians cannot claim land in West Jerusalem even if they can prove that it was owned by Palestinians at any point in history, which is a perfect summation of this contradiction that Israel is a settler colonial, is a, is a, is a settler colony. The intention is never to actually provide Palestinians with land or safety or hope or protection. It is to slowly and, and well, actually not that slow because we're talking again since 1948. We're talking about an incredibly quick removal and ethnic cleansing of a people who have no rights and limited protections under Israeli law. Israeli law does not look to protect Palestinians. It looks to remove them or kill them. Right. Well, and, and when we talk about things like ethnic cleansing or or uh, or refugees, I, I think it's important to point out that that poverty causes much of this. I mean, and and it's imposed poverty. When, when even when you think about our population, the reason that seventy percent of Native people don't live on what is considered um, Native lands, Indian country, is because they're, they're, it's un, it's economically unsustainable. So poverty Absolutely. is used to force a certain level of, of of ethnic cleansing. If you remove people, look, that's why there was a big effort to to, to not just uh, encourage, but force us off of quote-unquote reservations. If they could cut that tie between Native people and their lands, it was the it was among one of those first steps uh, that was a part of this ethnic cleansing, and so this poverty that causes this refugee. And look, in every country, we we talk about it being you know uh, you know political you know problems and uh, um, you know and and violence, but poverty is one of the biggest drivers to cause an influx or an exodus of, of refugees and. Poverty isn't happening in these situations, whether it's us as Native people here or whether it's uh, Palestinians in, uh, in, in Palestine. That poverty is, is, is a policy. It is caused. It is a, it's intentional. It is not simply because a people some, somehow all of a sudden became unsustainable or, or, or could no longer sustain their, 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 their neighborhoods or their people or, or their culture. This has been an imposed poverty. Yeah, I mean, it, also, how do people react in poverty? How do people react in poverty? We, we turn to so many different things. We turn to addiction and we turn to violence. We turn to so many horrible things. We also turn to a, a lot of beautiful things, too. You know, like, there's nothing like community on a res. You know, there's truly mm -hmm. nothing quite as beautiful as that. So I, I don't want to take away from that. But this imposed and purposeful poverty also has 
imposed and purposeful reactions. And then the state can react to those reactions and use it to justify continued violence. Oh, well, look at these Indians, these drunk Indians, you know, let's we, we need to govern them more. Oh, look at how look at all this violence within their communities. Look at all this addiction within their communities. This is why they need governance. This is why exactly. they need governance. And we see that same thing transposed into Palestine, where you see Israel, you know, and I hate this argument. Oh, well, Hamas wants to kill all Jews. OK, you know, like also like I, I can't even give that time or effort. But yeah. the, it's part of this larger conversation like, oh, well, look at them being violent. That's why they need occupation. That's why they need it. We're talking about a community of people who are throwing stones versus an occupying force who is shooting missiles. There is yeah. a difference. And yeah. to even compare them as if they are apples and apples is an insult. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And, and, and that has been put on display over and over and over again and and again I, I when you when you talk about how important it is that people understand the the connection between the united states and israel and and other countries that that have a similar um history of ethnic cleansing it it, it could it, it could not be more clear i mean you've got joe biden literally announcing that he's a zionist i mean and and they and they yes. say this with with pride as if this comes with some sort of redeeming, you know, virtue or something. I mean, it's 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 absurd. And I, you know, and something that you see pushed, especially on social media, but also in the larger larger global conversation about this, is that if you criticize Israel, you're anti-Semitic, which is not true, by the way. Right. Just so everyone knows, being anti-Semitic and anti-Zionist are not the same thing. They're wildly different. Being anti-Semitic is uh, a general hatred, distrust, dislike, and prejudice against Jews, both culturally and religiously, and it's very prevalent. I don't want to pretend like it isn't, you know. And it's led to genocide. It has led to the it led to the Holocaust. It's also led to policy changes and and uh, uh, you know, their anti-Semitism is real, but anti-Zionism is not synonymous to being anti-Semitic. Criticizing the belief that um, Jews as, a, as an ethnic or religious minority have the divine right to Palestine is not, uh, criticizing that and criticizing Israel as a settler colony is not the same as hatred of Jews. And so I, well, I find just that, like, I, mean, I, look, I hate I, this argument. I, I violently oppose the doctrine of Christian discovery, but it doesn't mean that I want to kill yes. Christians. I mean, it, it's, you know, the policies that <clears throat> that get supported in the name of religion are not the same thing as the religious beliefs themselves. And, and I think it's important that people know that distinction. Look, I, and I'm not suggesting that 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 many organized religions haven't been corrupted uh, to advance agendas of of powerful people. We, we certainly have seen that time and time again. But again, to oppose the violence that we're witnessing now and have been witnessing year after year after year in this conflict between Israel and, uh, and Palestinians is not to say that you're anti-Semitic. And, and I think it's you make that strong that point very strongly. It's just such an important thing for people to stop saying, because it is a very sure way to end a conversation quickly which is that, oh, well, don't, you know, you're anti-Semitic then. I mean, the amount of people that have, I've been really um, 
I've been incredibly vocal about my stance in supporting Palestine on on my social media platform that has a quite a bit of a following. And, you know, the amount of people that have been coming at me telling me that I'm anti-Semitic, I'm anti-Semitic. First of all, it's it's so angering as a Jew to be called anti-Semitic because I love I love who I am and I love who I am and I I love my culture and I I love the way that uh, that I was raised. And so I don't. I find that to be such an insult, but but also it's such a surefire way to end a conversation, which is part of this larger narrative of Israel, which is that you are anti-Semitic if you criticize Israel. No, no, no. I'm anti-Zionist if I criticize Israel. And I, I and that distinction needs to be made. We have to be critical of Israel in the same way that we're critical of this so-called country, because the reality is that Nazi Germany used the history of America's indigenous genocide to guide the Holocaust, and Israel uses the learned techniques of that to guide its Holocaust. So we're talking about these these intervention techniques that are meant to be violent, and, and the intention is to destroy Palestine. And there's a, there's a saying that we say within the Jewish community, which is, out, we will outlive them, which came out of our um, resistance against Nazis. Um, which is that we will outlive them, we will outlive them. And, and we say this often. Um, and, you know, I, I tell people that when I say I will outlive them or we will outlive them, I include, I don't mean it like this. I include Palestinians in that call to action against fascism and settler colonialism. And that as a Jew, it is my literal duty to refuse Israel as a legitimate state, even when I've been taught to accept it as reparations. You know, we can't continue to do harm against Palestinians just because we were traumatized. We can't, you know, we can't, no, no matter how much of our trauma may want us to accept Israel as legitimate, or in the same way that no matter how much of our trauma makes us want to accept the United States as legitimate as, a, as an indigenous person, the reality is that they're not states for us or by us. They're occupying countries that are destroying indigenous populations to maintain resource extraction. Like, that's it. Well, and, and, and that's what we, we come back to this, that how much this is about money, how much is it about um, affluence and 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 accumulating wealth. And that's really what a lot of this comes down to. Um, it's about depriving uh, sustainability to some and by ripping it away and accumulating wealth for others. And and that's what we've seen. We've seen it over and over, over again that look. You know, this, this idea of manifest destiny, it was, a, it was about money. It was always about accumulating wealth. And look, what, what, what we see in, you know, when we talk about things like, like environmentalism, for instance. I mean, as Native people, we aren't environmentalists. We are land protectors. And, and, that, and that land isn't just exactly. where we're dug in. We understand that historically we've watched capitalism we've watched the extraction taking every dollar you can off of every acre you can that's what we've seen and that's and frankly that's what we're witnessing in uh in israel right now and in in palestine we're we're witnessing it there and and as as much as it's a smaller piece of you know of the planet compared to what native people experienced it it just kind of shows you how much denial people can be in when they see the same crime committed over and over and over again that there's that there's some sort of you know whether you want to call it gaslighting or whatever 
it, it's about changing the narrative, about falsifying the, the, you know, the record and suggesting that it's all justifiable. Well, it's a, and, and that goes hand in hand with the fact that, um, it, so for those unaware, Facebook and Instagram, obviously owned by Mark Zuckerberg, oh, and Twitter as well, um, all uh, participated in removals of posts, bringing awareness both to Sheikh Jarrah, um, as well as missing and murdered indigenous women, girls, trans and two-spirit people. And of course they said it was a bug, mind you. They released a statement that was like, we had a bug in the system. Um, that removed all of Al Jazeera's posts and all of the posts relating um, relating to Sheikh Jarrah. But but I, I called this out on on my social media platform. But I I, I want to echo it here, which is that it's not a coincidence that tools of the state like Instagram, because social media is a tool of the state, um, like Instagram, are, we're removing and censoring both MMIW G2ST as well as Sheikh Jarrah related posts. Because both bring awareness to ongoing settler colonialism, you know, both are calls to uh, to on to, to bring awareness to ongoing genocide, and and they both advocate for radical change, which includes the destruction of the settler state. So even when we're talking about um, that indigenous people in Palestine and here are connected through interconnected through our struggles, you know, it, it's also so, I mean, interesting and also horrible to see how that struggle is silent together even on social media so you know this isn't like a, a an aloof or um uh or like gelatinous kind of blob when we're talking about it this doesn't exist in this other plane it exists here and now in a space that we live in all the time like this doesn't and so i think that like when we talk about activism on social media and censoring on social media and surveillance on social media it's a real thing that is happening and of always affects the most oppressed and in this in this moment in history it's indigenous peoples <laughs> as it has always been um well and, so and i think that's and, an and i guess to your point, point to your point how social media there is, is weaponized there is structure to this so when you say it's not a gelatinous blob yes. there is specific structure to what is happening whether it's those who control social media or or the mainstream media or you know, weapons, uh, you know, the, the weapons industry, the military industrial complex, there is structure to all of this. And, you know, and, and the worst part about it is there are some people who just have just perfected the idea of profiting from conflict. And in the meantime, we have genuine people who are trying to preserve their right to exist. They're asserting their distinction, and they're trying to maintain. You know, you mentioned something earlier about we will outlive them. You know, I when we when we say our existence is our resistance, and I, I say no, it's just mm -hmm. not enough to exist. It's not just enough to outlive them, because Absolutely. what what is taken from us during that life is sometimes irretrievable. And I think we have to maintain. Mm -hmm. We have to do more than outlive them. We have we we have to maintain and build our capacity to to survive. Regan, I want to thank you so much. This was a, a great um, a topic to, to to have your insights specifically to. Uh, I want to thank of you. Course. We'll we'll see you back here next week. This is John Kane with Regan DeLoggins. This is Resistance Radio. 